This is Drive Time Prop, 30 minutes of jam-packed, up-to-the-minute news from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice every weekday. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story is not really today's top story. It's just my top story is that a bear broke into an occupied home in Truckee, California, where two teens were hanging out, left the garage open. Their mom was asleep upstairs. He was raiding the fridge. Cops came in and rescued them. I just am saying it must be bear breaking into house season because that was on the front page, the homepage of WSBradio.com today. Well, these bears so. are sophisticated cat burglars. <laughs> they know how to pick a I lock. I guess they have thumbs now. So I don't know. Do they? Do I don't think so. I don't think they have thumbs. One broke into my friend's house and was playing his PlayStation. <laughs> Fantastic at Call of Duty. That was just one of your improv buddies in a bear costume. Oh, that's what it was. <laughs> that's why he was wearing gym shorts over it. <laughs> No, but I'm just bringing these things up because you can all, like, death by fall. I'm not saying these things aren't happening, but for some reason, stuff, if it's this common that it can be front page news once a week or every day, then it didn't just come out of nowhere. Falling and bears are not new. So the reason they're getting front page news all of a sudden, there has to be a reason. So I'm watching out for it. I said that about prison breaks a while ago, and I see that coming around. So bears breaking into stuff. As if we don't have enough to worry about already. Climate change, now bears breaking into our houses. Well, I was thinking after what you were saying yesterday about the Panthers who can't walk, that the bear story probably will fold into climate change. Great point. Although Dean tweeted us about this. He's tweeted this to me before, and I just never really understood the bigger, bigger picture. It's about this wildlife reclamation thing. They're reintroducing apex predators, and they want to take back huge swaths of the country from uh, going to human habitation. But like a 6,000-mile stretch along the western border of North America is one of the things. And this folds perfectly into the the notion that that it's Habitat One from the UN that you are going to take people off of the land. Like the idea behind that was that you could own that people would be allowed to own personal property. It's a very communist idea, but not land because land is the way for super rich people to stay super rich. But that's not true, especially not in this country. Land is a way for you to grow potatoes and be off the grid with very little uh, need dependence. So if they make anything outside of the cities dangerous or toxic or you don't you no longer have the ability to be independent by having driverless electric cars that you don't own no longer having roads like that not that I'm a fan of government roads but they won't even allow I'm sure that the idea would be private roads would not make sense either especially if there's no land or all that so the wilderness thing could be just another factor subtle factor to point to we need to take arable land offline so there, my story had a point, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so another little quick hit. I, this is something that I've been trying to get to the bottom of. The U.S. or Western press has been talking about some kind of nuclear accident 
in Russia, they say it was a nuclear weapons test that radiation detectors have gone offline at the nuclear weapons monitoring facility, and I believe it's Vienna, Austria. And I've been looking for the Russian press to see what their version of the story is, and I finally got a chopped up article in the Wall Street Journal, I mean, so chopped up that like the quotes, it's supposed to have Putin quotes in it. But the the good parts like uh, scientists die, or radiation level spike are not in quotes. And then Putin's quotes are, these men do good work. It's like, yeah, but he's not acknowledging like the quote doesn't really make it clear that these guys died in this accident, and it's radioactive. So I don't know what the real answer is there, but I've been keeping my eye on a, a, a he said it was not a radioactive thing. We say it is. I don't know if this is going to go anywhere, but fears of nuclear proliferation might be in the background as we continue to get more and more aggressive stuff about Syria. You know, we lost really to Russia and Syria is from what I can tell. And that kind of thing, it goes with Iran and the buildup of the big powers. I don't know how it fits into 3D chess, but I feel like these are kind of scare tactics that we're seeing. I read an article in the Military Times the other day. I'm not going to go deep into it because I don't remember it all right now. But they were talking about how we have so much focus on nuclear weapons. And that is not where the danger lies because mutual destruction protects us for the most part from nuclear destruction but it's cyber destruction that nobody's paying attention to and when you read the article it feels like it feels like we have a lot of countries held hostage and we ourselves are under attack and being held hostage by other countries not in the sense of russian interference type stuff but in the sense of those little cyber explosives that people have planted on other countries grids Oh, like what off. Obama did to Russia yeah, before he exactly. left? <laughs> he sent them a little bomb to be detonated at, at the next president's will. It talks like, about Ooh. that one in the article, and it talks about how that is the true fear that nobody's paying attention to. What's funny about it is we have this huge government that takes absorbs almost half of the productivity of the country every year, year in, year out. They tell us that we're not sophisticated enough to understand what they're doing, and we should just be so happy that they're way, way ahead of it. We have to control the entire world in the name of national security. And they single-handedly made each and every one of us dependent in every way mm-hmm. on an electronic grid, a cyber sphere, that actually is probably terrible for our health, erodes our rights, and was really not necessary. We had already conquered the the feed the world thing. It was just a matter of free enterprise getting the distribution right. And they just brought us into another world where we are in this dystopian matrix future that puts us in danger of just simply being unplugged. Mm -hmm. But nobody goes back and says, hey, man, in a free society, this never would have happened. People would have weighed, even if this stuff could have emerged in because of capital investment in a free market, which I would say not a chance in the world because you would have to have maximal unemployment to go from speech to text kind of technology for that to be a good investment. But they got in there and they put us in this position and and people would have factored in along the way the 
kind of, is that the world you want to live in? And they would have also factored in things like leisure, things that they could have used their time and money on once their necessities and then some were met. Like, no, I don't think independent, rational individuals would have embraced this very vulnerable, highly plugged in, unhealthy world. And here they're like, oh, we, we've put you in this terrible peril and we're the only ones who can get you out of it. That is such a typical government approach. Yeah. So, so one more typical government approach is kind of my last quick hit is Johnson, Boris Johnson and Angela Merkel met up and he said, hey, man, I'm totally down with Brexit. I just you can't let you can't make us put a hard border between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. And since Southern regular Ireland, the Republic of Ireland is part of the EU and Northern Ireland is part of the UK. If we have a hard Brexit and you make us treat Ireland like part of Europe, which it is because it chose to be, it was invited to be, then we're going to have problems. And then, so I'm, I'm looking at this article and I'm thinking they're blaming Ireland for this and they're setting something up here. And then I looked and right underneath it was a huge article. I can't believe I missed it about how people in Ireland are scared again for the first time in decades because before they ironed out, I think, the 1998 peace accord. And I remember the before days because I grew up in a Catholic school. A lot of us were Irish. I'm Irish. And we would hear about there would be bombings. If anybody watched the original House of Cards, who it's with FU, but it was out of Europe. It was an English one, the original one. And they, he sets up this evil prime minister, whatever, sets up these accidents and blames it on the IRA. Like terrorism and false flags are realities. And the Irish problem was quite a useful tool for England, even if you don't want to be that sinister about your opinions. they That's why the UK led the way in CCTV. They had, they had like uh, um, surveillance cameras everywhere in London before anywhere else, and they always blamed it on Irish terrorism. And now that I look back... That who's to say they didn't blame it unnecessarily or have false flags or have false reportings just to justify something they obviously all these Western governments want anyway. So I anticipate the importance of Ireland and tension there, even violence there as either being an excuse for not going not doing Brexit or bringing terrorism back to the UK for like leveling up on the surveillance state. I just think it's significant. Well, in similar light to that, as you know and everybody else knows, there's been a protest movement going on in the United States since Trump was elected. The resistance with the most radical end of the resistance being Antifa. Sometimes there's protests on the far end of the opposite side as well with the white nationalists. With that said, there was an article today about the protest movement and about the protesters. And I want to give you some of the characteristics that they give of the protesters along with a quote of one of the protesters. And I want you to tell me – wait till I give you all of the characteristics and all the traits. But tell me who you think they're describing. Are they describing Antifa? Are they describing white nationalists? Just give me your thoughts on who you think they're describing after I tell you how this article about protesters and the protest movement are described. A member or, or a protester is quoted in the article as saying that more people accept that there will be some violence. They may not like it, but they don't condemn it. We're joined together as a force. Second point, 
The protesters are described in this article as escalating the aggressiveness, including playing cat and mouse games with police officers. Number three, the protesters wear all black attire, which includes black mask, black helmets, black knee pads, black arm guards. Number four, the protesters have begun throwing bricks at police officers. Who are they describing? Can I just – can I give you my answer? Go for it. Or, okay. I feel that you have educated me so well on these signs that this is, this is like indivisible on steroids or Antifa. I would say that you would probably be correct if it wasn't a trick question, and I kind of okay. led you astray on purpose. Okay. The headline comes from Reuters, and it's today, and the headline is – Frontline protesters make case for violence in Hong Kong. <gasps> no. Sounds way. exactly like Antifa, doesn't it? The tactics. Yes, and the, the only other thing I was thinking, but Antifa was just an extension of that anyway, was those flyers I saw. I think it was in Ferguson or something like that, that were the exact same. Like there was a side by side comparison on the internet of the ones that appear. In color revolution protests under George Soros' yes, watch. Exactly. And with wow, that we with that in mind, there was an article yesterday on CNN.com, and the title of this article was Hong Kong protests send a message that Americans hear loud and clear. That message being, is this what we should be doing? And then the article. Whoa! Yeah. That is exactly what you said was coming. Yeah, listen I mean, to this. Exactly. The article goes on to say that protests in Sudan and Hong Kong and Russia have risen up to challenge the autocrats that are in power. The pro democracy protests is what they call them. And then it goes on to, to pose the question should the American resistance use the same tactics that they are seeing in these other countries, specifically in Hong Kong. And it answers that question by saying, not yet. Right now, what they say we should be doing is that we should be getting out the vote and that they should vote out this authoritarian, this president with authoritarian tendencies, that they should use the system right now to get out the vote. But then it says, however, however, if that doesn't work, if Russian interference and voter suppression – undermines the legitimacy of the vote, then the American resistance needs to start asking the question, what was Hong Kong doing? We need to remember what Hong Kong was doing. Wow. So it's really interesting because it only poses two outcomes. The one outcome is the Democrats win. The other outcome is that Russia interfered and racism via voter suppression illegitimized the election, gave Trump a second illegitimate presidency. Therefore, it's time to start doing what they've, what the, what's being modeled for them in Hong Kong right now, which is an increasing level of violence. So there's no outcome that they present that Trump could legitimately be president. And that's an important thing to remember because that is being seated in people's heads. No outcome is going to be legitimate. If Trump wins, it's already illegitimate. It's already because of Russia. It's already because of racism. And if it's because of racism, because of voter suppression, regardless of what Stacey Abrams does right now, Stacey Abrams, after Trump is elected, will only gain more power because she will become the national face of the resistance via the voter suppression angle, which is what's going to be blamed for him winning. And we already know that Stacey Abrams has organized 
This is her job. Stacey Abrams' job is not to win things. Her job is to lose things, blame it on racism, and then organize a mass movement based on that. She did that in 1993. She already led a protest. She organized and led a protest after the Martin Luther King – not the Martin Luther King, the um, Rodney Rodney King King, riots. The Rodney King riots. Now – she says that was a terrible time. She says that she didn't lead violent protests, but when you read the articles and you read her involvement, it's very hard to imagine that the groups that she organized were the only ones that did not participate in violence. She's the type of person who doesn't condemn violence, who doesn't condemn people shouting down her white opponent during the Democrat yeah, Netroots Nation. She looks the other way, but she says she didn't order it. And that's kind of the feel you get when she organized these these riot she organized these demonstrations after the the Rodney King thing. So her job that's where she excels. So she will excel if Trump wins and it's blamed on voter suppression and she gets even more power and she can blame it on racism, organize the anger, and there will be a small group of protesters, not all of them, not all of them. And this is where this is what you want to watch for is how many people have been radicalized to the point of doing what these people and some of these people in Hong Kong are doing to throwing bricks at police to doing violent types of protests hopefully that number is very small but the media will propagate this and they will try to they will try to further radicalize people if Trump wins and he's going to win i think there's no doubt he's going to win because i think that's what they want and i think it's going to be a very sensitive time after that and again Stacey Abrams is going to be right at the center of stoking that division once it happens. And the protests going on in Hong Kong right now, regardless of which side you agree with or whether you think that we're funding them or not, it does sound like a little bit of a color revolution thing going on. The way that it's being conveyed in the media to us is as a model, as an instruction manual to follow. I would add a couple of little nuances. One is – with the these kind of things, I would say are always multitasking. Yes. So the Hong Kong, I, my guess is, and I just have to look into it. My guess is that there is greater integration coming. Kind of like there was a timeline of China reabsorbing Hong Kong. There were some restrictions, and that's why Hong Kong remained so independent, so valuable as a financial center. I haven't dug into that, but my guess is. Like 2020 was a red letter date or something. So that's why they want to slow that down now. But they're the way, so you look at the way they're doing it and they can really affect change because Hong Kong's a small place and there are a lot of people there. And there are a lot of people probably who are kind of on our side or on the side of the West because it is the financial center. And what I think they will need here. So their numbers can overwhelm their police. Here, I think that this this movement that you're that you're suggesting that you're that you identify that you tell us about that you're looking we're looking ahead to. I have no doubt that that. I mean, you've read the stuff to me. The stuff that Hong Kong stuff sounded exactly like Antifa and Indivisible. But because the numbers, I don't think the numbers are really there. Not the way it is. Like for Hong Kong, if those people think that they're not going to be as rich, they'll go on the streets. So what they need to do hand in hand, and, and some of the other things that I've been looking at may play into that. I just got an email from Harvard Magazine saying. Uh, read this article. It's our featured article. It's about the uh, incarceration and uh, race issue. But car- incarceration is a is a racial crisis, and yes, it is definitely disproportionately 
the the race of the criminals races of criminals races of the general population the races of incarcerated people definitely are disproportionate so more people i think more black people go to jail for the same crime than white people and there are lots of factors systemically you know systemic racial issues definitely all factor in that but but what but when you talk about it that way, I want criminal justice reform. I want prison reform. I don't think anybody engaging in black market activities, I don't think there should be black markets. So anybody's not really violating your rights definitely shouldn't go to jail, but they do. And, but the way they will approach criminal justice reform, prison reform, they're going to, they, they are already talking about it this way, the way Obama approached Ferguson and Baltimore, how Baltimore was approached. It was a pullback. A pullback uh, when you change the criminal justice reform, which from the 90s, which isn't good, but I think it did reduce crime. If they allow a pullback in the crime, if they allow a a release into the society of people who are capable, are real criminals, are really violent, it will have a multiplier effect on these things. So you could start a little riot somewhere. And if you have like a police pullback and a surge in recently released criminals, you can just have a free for all like the Rodney King thing. People weren't looting because they were angry. They were looting because angry people created an opportunity and yeah. the police pulled back. Right. So I believe that this has to be a more orchestrated thing and that the idea behind it is about the impression it makes, is about really justifying something that is not coming from a democratic process, is not coming from grassroots frustration. It's a plot to lead to authoritarianism, that strategy of tension, tried and true, and in evidence in the past. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, definitely uh, watch out for that. Let's see what's next here. The background checks, Trump has been flip-flopping. I mentioned it earlier in the week, maybe even yesterday, that he said, oh, I can pull back on background checks. That's mental health. That's the real issue. And my point is, it's like a Democratic debate. Everybody is assigned one one issue. Yang has got the UBI, universal basic income, like... Isley or Inslee, who recently withdrew, was climate change. Like, everybody's got something. Mm -hmm. uh, De Blasio is tax the rich blind. (laughs) Everybody's got something, you know? So it didn't matter to me what Trump said about the background checks. I knew he was going to do it anyway, or he would sign anything. He will sign anything that comes across his desk when it comes to gun control, in my opinion, because that's the signal he's sending. And he's telling him what to do. So his his words on it yesterday, uh, or what's quoted today in the journal, is we, uh, President insists he still backs gun buyer rules. We are going to be doing background checks. We are going to be working with Democrats. We are working with Republicans, Mr. Trump told reporters on Wednesday. We already have very strong background checks, but we are going to be filling in some of the loopholes. And I recently spoke uh, to... Wayne LaPierre of the NRA. We had a great talk with Wayne yesterday. Didn't say anything about background checks, just talked about concepts. Wayne agrees things have to be done also. 
So the NRA is controlled opposition. It's like when the Catholic Church did Vatican II. They said, oh, it's, you know, we want to be more welcoming. We want to tap into the more liberal feel of the population. And people just left in droves. I feel like it's the same thing. The people are there because they want the structure. They want the discipline. They want the integrity, the scrupulousness. And, and when the NRA acts like it's pandering to the wrong crowd— I smell a rat. So that's why I think the Gun Owners Association of America is not controlled opposition, the Pratts, and also Georgia Carey by by Jerry Henry, I believe, is still the uh, one of a uh, chairman or president there. And they do great work. And they've also noticed that the NRA, it's well, they've never called it controlled opposition, but I, I have I smell a rat. I have a gun control story, but I have a quick question. Did you say Vatican II as in like the sequel? Vatican II. Vatican II was a it – was, it wasn't supposed to be as much of a reform as a clarification for the modern era or an approach to modern problems that came out of the Vatican in the 60s. Oh, I see. I don't know what Vatican I was now that you mention it. Maybe that's where the syllabus of errors came from. That's interesting. I'll have to look into it. But the but Vatican II was a big 60s conclave of cardinals and stuff in the Vatican. And when it came out, it kind of clarified and and refined the basic doctrines of the church in the context that a more globalized world should be able to understand and apply. But what actually happened was it made the church – the application of it was very loosey-goosey, and people, especially people on the ground, priests and stuff, wanted to feel more inclusive and say it's like when they say we want gay marriage or whatever, we don't want to exclude anybody. But the reality was you didn't get any of those people, but what you did was you lost a lot of people who really depended on that sense of community, that guidance, the direction. They were there for the direction. So with the NRA, they're there for the strict line in the sand, for the power that these guys have to hold Congress and the Senate to defending our rights in this strict letter of the law. There is no compromise. The compromise is the establishment of a monopoly on the on the use of force. That's what the compromise is giving the government the power. The rights, the protections in the Bill of Rights, you can't compromise on those. There are only defense. Right. Gun control, piggybacking off your gun control story. Parkland students unveil a sweeping gun control proposal and hope for a youth voting surge in 2020, which is something I forgot to mention about the Hong Kong story. The Hong Kong story very much focuses on how the young protesters are the one ones that are doing it, and it was the older protesters that messed up their umbrella revolution a few years earlier. So it very much has that young versus old dialectic that you talk about a lot. And the gun control here, the plan is called a peace plan for a safer America, and it would create a national licensing and gun registry as well as ban assault weapons in high-capacity magazines and implement a mandatory gun buyback program and install a national director of gun violence prevention who would report directly to the president and coordinate a federal response to what advocates call a national public health emergency. And David Hogg, everybody's favorite gun control advocate, is the face of this so far, it seems. And he was the – never forget that he was a child of – an FBI guy, right? Yeah, I think so. So I always see this stuff. They start, they they get them young. 
Yeah, they get them young, and this is just – it's kind of like the Green New Deal, and they're throwing everything into this as a kind of a messaging bill is what this is. And they're going to be going around touring. They're unveiling like a big event in October, I believe. We're going to have all these kids get back together, I'm sure, Emma Gonzalez, David Hogg. They're going to do another one of those March for Life type events, and it's going to be just a massive gun control push, and they're targeting young voters again. And they're doing it in October because they're starting it in that final – push between with the one year left until the election and they're trying to get as many young people who they can get to go out and vote on pure emotion as possible without thinking you really learn a lot over the years and you even develop psychologically and physiologically people don't acknowledge but they should that age is a rite of passage of all people there is no like I guess there's ageism. I guess you can be persecuted on that basis and punished, but it's not, there's nothing wrong with only having people have a certain experience. They will all get there. It's like minimum wage. You're just cutting out teenagers from getting jobs. Like you don't need to have every, it's a serious problem. Like what is too young to control the world? What is too young to control yourself? Why do you have statutory limits on the age of consent? Why? I mean, the, you have to use your head here. This is just one another one of those things that just defies rationality. Absolutely. And they talk about channeling the pure, raw emotion in the article. They don't even talk about using logic or using argument. They talk about appealing to that raw emotion that is drawn up by putting these images of gun violence back into the heads of the public. This goes to a major mistake of the mistake plot of the sixties. And it, and I remember first reading about it in regard to the serfs in Russia. And I've mentioned this before, but that really rings a bell to me. It was this idea that your kids instincts are right. So by parenting them, you're actually robbing them of what's good about them. So one of the theories was, and, and they said, they actually said there were studies that supported this. I find it impossible to believe having had kids, but if you set up a big buffet, starting with carrots and ending with cupcakes, just a hundred food items, and you let kids just have access to that anytime they wanted, anytime, anything that over time they would, they would choose broccoli if they had a deficiency in calcium. I can tell you, Having kids for many years now, not a chance in the world, not a chance in the world. So we are, I think of kids as crepe myrtles. They're beautiful. Crepe myrtles are nice. But did you realize that a crepe myrtle is a bush? Oh. It is not a tree. So you, they're these pretty things. They, they're late bloomers. They're gorgeous. They're accent trees. But if you don't trim them regularly, really have them grow tall, they're, they're pretty but they're just scraggly little bushes that you can hardly see once the rest of the summer blooms. Yeah, they never shower. They're kind of dumb. They make bad decisions. <laughs> I'm just saying they're unrefined. They can't really go forward. They can't grow tall. You have to help them. You have to keep them from making stupid decisions before they've gained the maturity or the physiological growth uh-huh. or the experience I'm just saying it all speaks to this idea, which was a 60s idea and a, an idea about the grassroots earth mother kind of thing. It's impulse where, control. But they're saying the impulses are good and it's it's the evil guy in the suit. <laughs> right. You know, the evil guy in the suit who's messing you up like Jimi Hendrix versus 
the guy, uh, businessman, that businessman is wrong. And Jimi Hendrix is right, but Jimi Hendrix is dead. So he either died because he had bad impulses or he was killed because he was working for people who had bad impulses. I don't know, but it just proves that that idea of a free-for-all, well, I don't know if it proves it, but I'm just bringing out that this is a fallacy that has been used before. Yeah, it goes against basic psychology. Kids will choose kids without impulse control will choose broccoli when and only when there's nothing else available to eat <laughs> except broccoli. When there's chocolate and there's milkshakes, there's and ice cream. they're starving. Yeah. They also have to be starving. That's the only time when there's all these better options, tastier, sweeter options around. Unless you have impulse control, you're not going to choose the broccoli. So you, even you, hope, even hope for a cupcake will keep my kids from eating broccoli. Yeah, exactly. They'll hold out until they're in the last breath <laughs> for the so cupcake. True. I got one more quick one. Okay, and then I've got a couple of teases, and we can wrap it up. Okay, this one I was alerted to by at More News One, and the headline is, Schools are locking up students' phones, creating severe anxiety. And what they're doing is now they're doing this at events, at stand-up comedy, at concerts, and at schools now is they have these little gray pouches, and – you are asked to put your phone in there, or some people will ask. Some people will pay to do this so that they can get away from their phone, and they will lock it up, and you are not allowed to have access to it until afterwards. So it's kind of like, look, I need you to take this away from me, and it doesn't matter what I say or what I do, and I'm going <laughs> to do a lot of different things, and I'm going to be very persuasive. Like quitting smoking. <laughs> do not. Do not let me get near this thing until after. The clock strikes midnight. Do you understand me? No matter. Sounds like a twilight zone. Exactly. I mean, this (laughs) is a real problem. It's a real problem that we're having to ask other people to lock our phones up under lock and key and prevent us from getting to them for a period of time because we're unable to stay away from them on our own. I mean, this is only going to get worse. And I I don't. I don't think we're really taking that problem that seriously. I know I'll be sitting around sometime going, "My gosh, put the phone down." Put the freaking phone down, dude. I saw an article that said uh, we are not raising our kids right. We're giving them too much responsibility, all this stuff. I've seen articles like that for decades, for sure. Then it cites that anxiety and depression in kids has gone up something like 60% from 2007 to 2017 or 2009 to 2017, something like that. And I traced it back, and it was basically if you were three when the iPhone was invented – you are in this category of having skyrocketing anxiety and depression. And that was not mentioned in the article. Like, you can't see screen-induced psychosis when it's staring you in the face. You have to go out of your way to make up other stories. People have been having heavy book packs for backpacks for 20 years. Latchkey kids were invented in the 80s. There's nothing new except for the screens. Yeah. Well, do you have something you want to tease? Well, I had a couple of teases. I wanted, I just wanted to leave in people's minds that the Obamas are buying yet another vacation home, over $15 million in Martha's Vineyard. And I believe those guys have never had real jobs to speak of. So <laughs> this is when I realized there were book scams and speaking tours had some nefarious motives. I'm not accusing the Obamas of that, but I just would ask people to just like ponder how come the Obamas have... $15 million extra to plunk down on an extra vacation home. It's not that they're worth $15 million, 
And this immigration thing is really big. It's big, and I want to talk about it on the WSB show on Saturday. Immigration, which is a competing rights issue in this world of of, uh, of national borders, and I want to bring a libertarian perspective to that immigration conundrum. Uh, but I did, but I want to just, that's on the forefront of the news. I didn't get to it today, but that we're going to go in depth on Saturday. All right. You can find your drive time prop every day at 4 p.m. on the proprport.com or your favorite podcasting platform. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.